Open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 5, another tremendous passage for us to look at today. So I'll be reading Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. Hear God's word, Luke 5, 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And the grass withers, flowers fade, and this word, it endures forever. Amen. Let's pray this prayer of illumination together. It's based on Hebrews 4. O Lord, we praise you that your word is living and active. May it be sharper than any two-edged sword for us to divide our souls and spirits, joints and marrow, and to discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts in order to show us our sins and even more, to show us our gracious Redeemer. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so remember where we are so far in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke 4, 18 and 19, Jesus set forth his purpose statement. Everything else in Luke-Acts flows from Luke 4, 18 and 19. It's a quote from Isaiah 61, Isaiah 58, and behind that, Leviticus 25, where Jesus looks at his hometown crowd. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, in a day acceptable to our God. And with all those illusions in the back, we see, you know, Leviticus 25 is the Jubilee chapter. Jesus is announcing a Jubilee gospel that the release of Jubilee, the release of Isaiah 58 and 61, pales or anticipates the total release that Jesus has come to bring us. They were pictures and images of that. And so Jesus' emphasis is this abounding, restoring, reviving grace. In verse 21, then after preaching that, in verse 21, he looks at everybody and he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Like, I'm here, the Redeemer is here, and I'm doing this. And so everything in Luke-Acts flows from this. You and I live in the today of Jesus's abounding, redeeming grace. 
So this mission statement is, is detailed, explained from this point on. And so in our section, and our section is chapter five, verse one, through chapter six, verse 16, in our little section that begins with the calling of Peter, it concludes with the calling of all the 12. So you have this little section, and in it you not only see Jesus beautifully carrying out his mission of releasing, um, but then you also see how people respond to him. There's a special emphasis in how we are to respond to Jesus, and we have vignettes of that. And so a commentator like Daryl Bach says about our passage today, or really about this whole section, he says, in this section, the reader is to identify with the characters in the account and sense their reaction and amazement. Luke says, imagine, imagine what it would be like if you, dear reader, were the one who witnessed these events or were one of the ones Jesus healed. Imagine. And so imagine, dear church, imagine that you were the leper. It's not really just a story, imagine it's you. And so, to the leper, in the Bible, leprosy was the most feared disease. Nothing else touched it. The word leprosy covered this broad range of skin diseases. Some of them were curable, temporary. Some were incurable. But what made them all, every one of them, feared was the possibility that one of those conditions would develop into something like what you and I know as leprosy, or in the 19th century came to be called Hansen's disease, which still exists in the world. Thankfully, there are treatments. It seems that Luke wants us to see this man, this leprous man, as on the very, the grave end of that spectrum. Because, you know, as we often expect with Dr. Luke, Being a physician, he gives more detail about medical ailments than Matthew and Mark does or do. And so unlike them, he describes this man as a man full of leprosy. He's full of leprosy. He's on the grave end. It's an advanced case. He's full of it, eaten up with it. It's spread around his body and done him great damage. I mean, you wonder how he looks. You wonder how he feels. So imagine you, one day you're surprised to find this white or pink discolored spot on your skin. And this cold dread, this pit in your stomach all of a sudden appears and You see, Old Testament law, Leviticus 13 and 14, you know those passages. It gives guidelines about what you're supposed to do if you discovered such a spot. And so the disease was so feared that two whole chapters in God's law were dedicated to it. Like no other disease, it was leprosy. And so you have to go to the priest and the priest has to check you out. 
If the hair in the spot had turned white and the diseased area seems to be deeper than the skin, then he had to pronounce you unclean. He, he had no options. And so you stand there before the priest and you hear yourself pronounced by the priest, the representative of the people before God, unclean. At that moment, you know your life has just become a living death. And so the social and psychological trauma was feared just as much as the physical. You become dirty. It's a dirty disease. You became infectious. So one day you're with your wife and, or your husband and your children. You're surrounded by family and friends. You're knit, embedded in the life of the community, a productive member, respected. And the very next moment with the priest pronouncing you unclean, you are sent away, ostracized from everybody. I mean, it wasn't to be cruel. It, it was just because this grave form of the disease was contagious and lethal. All of a sudden, people, even if they didn't want to, they had to view you as a danger and a threat. And so the law prohibited they even get near you. So Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. You know these verses. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. I mean, in a small way, very small way, you and I can identify with the strain of isolation over the last two years with, with the COVID epidemic. In a way, in a, in a slight way, we can identify with it where we view others as a threat. Distancing, quarantining, masking. We get sick and our house becomes an unclean place. We have to ask ourselves, you know, where was I last? Who might I have contact? Who do I need to give a call to and tell them I'm unclean? Back in June of 2020, early on, a lot of questions still at that point. You know, I came down with it, if you remember, and I just preached on Sunday, and it was Monday, and all of a sudden, out playing golf. <laughs> and I start feeling awful, and all of a sudden this dread, oh my word, what did I do? You know, who did I affect? I was worried for 14 days. Then a letter sent out by the church, rightfully so, the pastor has COVID, we're shutting the church down. I'm unclean, I'm a leper. We've seen the effects of social isolation in our country, in our world. But magnify that a thousandfold to a permanent condition of uncleanness. Nothing in comparison to what this man or you would endure. One moment you're this attractive, well-kept, well-connected, upstanding, hardworking person contributing to life, and the very next moment you're defined with this social stigma. Raggedy, dressed, isolated, outcast, utterly dependent upon the charity of others, and slowly becoming disfigured, and there's nothing you can do about it. Permanently unclean. 
And well, the physical suffering is a slow death. Over the next 10 to 20 years, the discolored spot would spread. Your skin becomes thick and scaly. It bunches up around the eyes and the ears. At times it flares up and when it does so, there's this incredible pain, fever, it's, it, it's exhausting, it leaves you flat on your back. At such times you're most contagious, but generally speaking, this, this skin problem extends and more of your body becomes numb, especially in the extremities, for the leprosy attacks your nerves. It affects your internal organs. It also causes deformity and crippling and paralysis and blindness. Just slowly you see these things shutting down. Your fingers and toes may get reabsorbed into your body because the tissue between your bones deteriorates. Or they may get infected, become raw wounds because you can't feel injuries when you bump against something. The spongy, tumor-like swelling develops into dirty sores and ulcers, and the disease attacks the larynx, so you start talking with a very raspy voice. All of this is going on. It's just signs of the end. And so by sight, by smell, by hearing, you're known, it's obvious, you're a leper. And you finally die from the extensive nerve damage of the disease itself or from some secondary disease caused by your deteriorated state. And die you will. The rabbis were so fatalistic about this severe kind of leprosy that they said to heal leprosy was as difficult as raising the dead. And so the rabbis just hoped and prayed that the ravages of leprosy would be removed one day when Messiah came. That's it, that's the only answer. Messiah has to come. Well, on top of this social, psychological, physical pain, you also suffered a spiritual stigma. It just made it worse. You became dirty, not just in the sense of infectious, you became dirty in the sense of being defiled. See, the priest declared you unclean, and you know you're permanently unclean. You feel shame at having leprosy. You hide. To be unclean is to be unholy and impure, separated from God's temple and separated from God's people. And it's not just a temporary, you know, one day or a week, it's, it's permanent. And, and And furthermore, on two occasions in Scripture at least, you have leprosy being a direct punishment for sin. You remember that? And so you remember Moses' sister Miriam. She gets arrogant and prideful, and she opposes Moses. She opposes his standing among the people, and God strikes her with leprosy as a direct punishment for her sin. You know this in the back. And Then King Uzziah, who was a great king, a good king, led Israel into, or Judah into prosperity and peace, and yet it got to his head, and in his vanity, he wanted all the offices to himself, and he went in the temple, he started acting like a priest, and God struck that king with leprosy. You know that in the history. You know that leprosy has been a direct punishment for pride, the root of all sin. So you have that there. And so the people held a suspicion, is God punishing this leper for some sin? Is he just more sinful than we are? 
And therefore, God's directly punishing him. And even the leper wonders that. You know, he goes, what did I do? What did I do to, to get this? And of course, God never said it's always a direct punishment for specific sin. And yet, such a permanent, severe condition of uncleanness, especially with all that in the background, makes you wrestle with that, the shame involved. Imagine... Dear ones, that you're the leper. You're the leper with all of this. But you don't really have to imagine because the leprosy is only rarely a direct punishment for specific sin. Leprosy in Scripture is a symbol of sin. What Scripture says is we're all lepers. We're all spiritual lepers. I mean, that's how Jesus is using it here. That's how Luke is telling the story. By nature, we're spiritual lepers. Everybody knows it by sight, by smell, by hearing. With what we do, the aura we put off, by what we say, we betray our spiritual leprosy. See, leprosy visualizes the horrifying and pervasive effects of sin, what we would call total depravity, the slow-growing, all-consuming, progressively debilitating, dangerous to ourselves and others, and in the end, lethal effects of sin. It symbolizes that. Isaiah, you know, at the beginning of Isaiah, the passage we read in our conviction of sin, he looks at Israel plunged into this arrogant sinfulness, and he goes, look, the whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint from the sole of the foot, even to the head. There is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. It seems like he's looking at them, given over to their sinfulness in terms of leprosy. You're eaten up with sin. And so we can look at this and say, just as the cross really serves to picture the spiritual suffering Jesus endured for our sins. You know, as terrible as the cross is, so much more is God's judgment. Even so, leprosy pictures the social, psychological, physical, spiritual effects of sin. If you had any doubt, look at leprosy. So this man, with all that, full of leprosy, full of it. He's living socially quarantined, psychologically tormented, physically devastated, spiritually demoralized. He somehow hears about Jesus, somehow. How did he? Somehow. He hears about Jesus, this man who's going around to the villages healing the sick and casting out demons, and he's actually in a nearby city. And so this man, hidden in some cave somewhere, this glimmer of hope all of a sudden flickers in his heart. Luke hasn't said that Jesus has healed anyone of leprosy yet, at least specifically, and yet this man, he's sitting there with all of that, and he he starts to believe. So imagine that's you. Imagine you're that guy, you hear that Jesus is nearby. There's the possibility of help. 
So you shake off your discouragement and your shame. You get up, you leave your leper colony, you hobble towards the city. You remember that the law prohibits you from entering cities, but you don't care. What do you have to lose? There's no reason you wouldn't go find him. And you get to the outskirts of the city or into the city itself. You imagine people running away from him. And what fortune, you actually see him. You see Jesus. And immediately you fall on your face and you beg him, Lord, if, if you will, you can make me clean. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. It's a confession of faith. See, the leper regards Jesus as Lord. In some sense, with the minimal information he has, he associates Jesus with Yahweh. He believes he's the Messiah to come before he's ever specifically healed of leprosy. I mean, Luke 7, says healing leprosy is a sign of Messiah. The rabbi said, oh, that Messiah would come and heal us of the ravages of leprosy. You're looking at Jesus. You're saying, I believe you're the one to come. You can do the impossible. You can heal of leprosy. This man... And so in the prior passage, you remember that Peter, when he's awestruck at Jesus giving him that abundant, gracious catch of fish, like no one's ever seen, he falls at Jesus' knees and he confesses, depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. That grace awakens us to how we don't deserve it. And now the leper falls on his face and confesses, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Two incredible responses to Jesus. So the question is, have we had those responses? Something like those responses. These are deep responses to Jesus. And he doesn't ask to be healed, he asks to be cleansed. And that, that highlights the spiritual defilement. It's like, you can take my dirtiness away, both of infection and defilement. You can make me clean of my physical infection, infection and my spiritual defilement. He knows Jesus, notice, he knows Jesus can do it. Like, he, he's convinced he can do it. So what a confession, but he, he's not exactly sure if Jesus will do it. He wonders about how kind and compassionate Jesus is. Will you? I know you can, but will you? Like, will you be compassionate even to a leper? Even to someone whose very infirmity symbolizes sin? Does your mercy extend to the likes of me? Am I too much? Am I too far gone? Will you? Do you want to? Do you desire to? Is your heart that full of compassion to deal with a man full of leprosy? And that just tells us what sin does to us, doesn't it? And what is it about you today? What is it that sin uses as evidence that you're too far gone, that you're outside the reach of Jesus' mercy and compassion.
We see our sin for how ugly it is, how just self-absorbed it is. It makes us just hate it. We hate it. And we look at ourselves and says, if I were God, I wouldn't like me. And how can God like me? We gauge God's heart by what our heart would do. And so one of our gravest problems is to think that God's heart isn't as loving as it is, as gracious as it is. We don't believe the hymn we sing, oh, our sins, our sins, there are many, his mercy is more. We, we don't, it doesn't reach down there. We, we think we're the ones who have sinned to such an extent or such an extent of time that we've run out of mercy So we spiritual lepers wonder, are you willing? Will you cringe when you see me, when you get to know me, when you hear me, see me, smell me? Will you you turn back? Will you distance yourself? Will you cover yourself? Will Will you want to cleanse me, we ask? Are you willing? And yet we see beautifully that the point of the story is to look at you, spiritual lepers that we are, by nature, and says Jesus doesn't flinch back. There's no pause. He doesn't have to recoup and regather himself, make that commitment. He just instinctively, you see his heart. He doesn't recoil. He doesn't cover his face. He doesn't walk away. He doesn't keep himself at a distance. He actually stretches out his hand and he touches him. I will be clean, he says. How long has it been since a leper has been touched? People couldn't even get near him. Maybe another leper had touched him, but probably not. It's not a part, probably, of his life. Somewhat, how long has he not felt the physical touch of another person? Jesus didn't have to. He could have just spoken to him, but he touches him to confirm that, yes, I'm willing. I want to. I want to. I desire to. I care. I'm concerned. His touch shows he views him as a person with dignity and worth. Value. Ortland says it this way He rehumanizes the dehumanized. That's really what Jesus does for us. Sin is dehumanizing. Jesus rehumanizes us. So Jesus' touch, by his touch, symbolizes he'll soon be reconciled and reunited to his family and friends. One commentary like says Jesus' touch is a welcome back. Welcome back to life. Welcome back. You're going home. His touch also shows that Jesus is willing to make himself unclean to show compassion to an unclean person. An unclean leper, no less. In a way, he breaks the law to do it. He shows that there are laws and then there are laws. He breaks the ceremonial law to show love and, and, and dignity and mercy to this open wound leper. But see, in doing that, we have incredible theology played out for us. I mean, it visualizes the incarnation itself. Sometimes we think, you know, it wasn't so bad for Jesus to come to our world. We think we're okay. And yet, spiritually speaking, For God to become man is for God to stoop down and touch and join himself inseparably to a leprous world. Spiritually speaking, that's what it was like. 
It visualizes Jesus's priestly intercession right now for you. You see, he can intercede for you because he's touched your infirmity, all of it. He didn't stay distant. It visualizes the cross of Christ because Jesus made himself your uncleanness, made himself your sin, your leprosy. He he became a spiritual leper. He brought into his person all sins, infection, and defilement, all the guilt of sin and all the fallout of sin. He just recruited it into his own person. At the cross, he became the spiritual leper. And he says to the leper, I will be clean. What words, what a declaration of forgiveness. He says the very same to you spiritual lepers today. If you came in with guilt and shame for whatever it was, Jesus looks at you and says, I will be clean. I am willing, that's why I came. I wish, I will, I, I desire to. I'm like a doctor who's so trained and equipped and has all the supplies, all the remedies, goes out to a country with this horrible epidemic. He wants to use what he has and what he's good at to heal the epidemic. He doesn't want people to stay away from, come to me, I have what you want and I'm here to help you. And Jesus came into our leprous world with the remedy that we need. I want to give it to you, he says. Your sin doesn't drive me away, your sin draws me to you. I'm not coming to you because you're lovable, I'm coming to you because you're unlovable. I came not for the well, but the sick, not for the righteous, but sinners. That's what he's gonna say in just a few short verses. I'm the doctor who knows clearly the depth of your condition, and for that reason, I've come. And then because of my work on your behalf, I declare you clean, washed, forgiven, justified, reconciled. Notice, he goes home, reconciled, sanctified. Again, if rising from the dead is just as hard as healing leprosy, Jesus goes a step further, an infinite step further. He says, I'm gonna rise from the dead having endured all judgment for my people and not just to another temporary mortal life but to resurrection glory with a new glorified body. You haven't seen anything yet. I'm totally imploding the kingdom of darkness. So what he wants you to know is Luke writes this story. He wants you to know, dear sinners, dear spiritual lepers, won't you see Jesus's tender heart for sinners? Won't you shake off your discouragement and your shame? Won't you get up? Won't you leave your leper colonies? Hobble over to him, (laughs) nothing to give him. Fall down before him and simply confess, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And for the joy set before him, the crucified, resurrected Jesus says to you, I will be clean, for that's why I came. And so the leprosy immediately leaves the leper. You hear Jesus say, it's finished. There's no longer any sin outstanding. He's no longer a leper. Notice his identity changes. He's now not the leper. He's clean and whole and healthy and reconciled and reunited. It's a total reversal. 
And that's what it is when Jesus forgives our sins. You're no longer the sinner, you're the son, you're the daughter. You have a whole new identity. And Jesus charges him not to spread it around, and he does so for two reasons. One, he just doesn't want this popular political messianic uprising on his hands, but the, the, the main reason is, look, you gotta go to the priest and get checked out again to get formally admitted back home. Go to the priest. Leviticus 14, glorious. So the guy, you, imagine you, go to the priest. Now you're clean. And you take two birds, one of those birds, the priest is gonna sacrifice and take the blood, he's gonna sprinkle it seven times on you. Number of perfection, you're perfectly cleansed, washed. Washed, you're no longer dirty, immaculate, spotless. And then with that, the other bird, he simply lets free in an open field. You are free, released, the Jubilee gospel. But the thing is, is the lepers running to do this. His dream come true, he can't contain himself. And he just can't help it. Like he's, you know what, like he must have been hobbling before, but now he's dancing and singing, running back to the priest. And so Luke says, even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to him to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. He just couldn't stop. He disobeys Jesus. Like Jesus immediately heals him, he immediately disobeys. But see, Luke doesn't censure him. He doesn't make some comment about that. He just lets it go. Because really he sympathizes with him. Like I'd have done the same thing is the sense that Luke says. I couldn't help myself either. He's beside himself with joy and gratitude and can't hold back. And that's really what but you and I are, is the gospel good news like this to us. Evangelism is a bunch of spiritual lepers who just got cleansed and are saying, I know who cleanses from leprosy. That's good news. Well, we close by saying that after all that excitement, Jesus simply withdraws and prays. As purposeful, as zealous, as eager as he is to save sinners and sufferers, show them God's grace, he especially prizes and cherishes and esteems his time with his father. He puts the father first. He wants to be in fellowship with his father. He needs the strengthening that comes from his father. He must have communion with his father. But what that tells you and me is, sons and daughters of God healed by the work of Jesus, spiritual lepers made cleansed, you and I have the privilege and honor and blessing a fellowship with the Father as Jesus has fellowship with the Father. And the Father wraps his arms around you and says you're his beloved son and daughter. And Jesus in his work has that goal in your life. It's a sweet ending to a very exciting story. Do you know all that today? There's no sense in staying out in the leper colony. Just hobble over to Jesus. He's willing and ready to declare you clean. He's done it all. God's people said, amen. Let's stand.